It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. 707 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, here to help you be more successful doing whatever you want to do in your landscape. All you have to do is ask me a question. I'll tell you whether it's worthless or <laughs> whether that's not the greatest of ideas or when to do it, how to do it, what to do it. And as always, I need assistance. Sometimes it's all me and Ashley answering questions. But today I've got Ashton Ritchie from the Scotts Company here to answer questions about lawn care. And Ashton and I will have a great time. I am so glad to be here with you, Walter. I'm glad that you're here. It's always I, good to see you face-to-face. -face. I have questions for you. Here's my question. Okay. Have you ever been stung by a wasp? Yes. And did it hurt? Uh, yes, but this was more uh, as a kid. As a kid uh, right. Not as an adult. I have, uh, I've learned. Well, I've learned better. Did you read about the guy who's been stung a thousand times no. in research? Oh, he's, and he, he did it on purpose. He did it on purpose. This guy said, I am going to find out what is the most painful insect sting so I can – this is research. He's a UGA. This, he's got to be crazy. He's a UGA entomologist who allowed himself to be stung by more than 83 different venomous insects. A thousand times total he got stung. And some of them, some of his descriptions of the sting were like um, – Walking through a bed of flaming coals with a three-foot <laughs> spike in your heel. He said it was that painful. Um, he, he, honeybees and, and paper wasps and things like that were on a scale of one to four, about a one or a two. And the ones that were the bullet ants, I think it was, there was an armadillo wasp and a couple more that he basically said it's like your skin is melting off your body. Oh, wow. Or you're in the, in, the, in the path of a lava flow. Why are you doing this anyway? Your whole body just quivers and shakes because of the venom from one insect sting. Wow. I, I just don't know what to say. I would say don't go get <laughs> don't mess around with bullet ants. You know, there's uh, you know, you can be an entomologist and you don't have to do that. So, so any of the kids <laughs> that are in high school out there trying to figure out their career choices, there are some great choices uh, for jobs as entomologists. But I wouldn't say that is one of them. That's probably not the not the one I would choose. And besides, now the research has been done, so you don't have to do it anymore. You don't need to, unless you want to, replication. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Somebody's going to want to replicate that. See, is it really like that hot well, spike yeah, in your but, but, you know, uh, as, a, as a beekeeper years ago, uh, I was always fascinated by the folks that would have the bee beards. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. where they'd have the queen, queen the queen bee, and then all the beards, and yeah, the sure. bees would be hanging down. And I just kept thinking about all the times I got popped by uh because i didn't read the directions before i would go out there and you know i would be doing all the things wrong right. working with them on a cloudy day yeah, yeah. wearing blue jeans rather than something white and you know they they, they don't like that kind yeah, of stuff the beekeepers who who do put the queen bee on their chin and have the bee beards they say the worker bees around are so concentrated on protecting the queen right. or on just clustering around <laughs> to make a colony that they don't worry about stinging anybody. I know. And that's why the beekeepers... The post office called me. I had five pounds of bees delivered from <laughs> Alabama up to Ohio. And the post office called me and said, you got to get your butt up here because they're sitting on the loading deck and they're escaping. Oh, my and God. And it's actually just the, what they call the hitchhiker bees uh -huh. that don't actually get into the cage okay. next to the queen. And they just kind of go through the mail system flying around the outside of the uh, wire yeah. bee cage. 
and they're called hitchhikers, and they're, they're not interested in stinging either, just they, like you just they described. They find the queen. Where is it? Mm, smells good <laughs> right here, yes. Probably more excited than when my dad would get the baby chicks would, would be delivered to the post office, too, back when you could order baby chicks, and they'd be delivered to the rural post offices, and they would call, and they'd be sort of interested in dad coming in and get the I thought, I thought for a second you said baby ticks. No. And I thought, your dad chicks. was buying baby ticks. No. <laughs> baby chicks. Baby chicks. Let's go to the phone. Less less hilarity here between the two of us. There are people who patiently wait for us right now. Bruce is in Sandy Springs and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Hey, Bruce. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. Uh, you're opening now after the break. I was beginning to think it was intended for me because you said <laughs> I'm going to talk about ideas that perhaps are not such good ideas. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I am calling about uh, removing Mondo. It's dwarf Mondo in an yeah. area that's 30 by 50 on a slope that's in bright sunlight. Uh, I failed it trying to get it to survive there, mm, yeah. and I'm going to move it. But I wanted to find out uh, what I should do to prepare the area for putting down two to three inch river rock. I'm just going to cover the area with a ground cover of rock. Mm. You got children, Bruce? No. Well, let me tell you, as a parent, there's a lot of discussion and thought before you have a child because you know you've got that 18 to 20, 25 year commitment. And if you're going to put rock on a slope, you need to think about it beforehand because it's going to be the whole devil of a job to get that rock off of the slope if you do it. So as in having a child, yes, go have a child, but think about it before you do it. And I'll tell you, Bruce, think about how you're going to remove leaves and debris and things like that from the rock because eventually, and weed control is going to be in, involved in there too. It's not a carefree, look at the rock, isn't it pretty honey kind of thing. It's going to be something you have to care for. So I know the Mondo didn't survive in the sun, but uh, think about what you'll have to, to do with the rock too. Ashton, do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, um, you know, that, that's why they invented the blowers, uh, <laughs> you know, to get those leaves out of there. But uh, the only thing I was going to suggest is uh, if you are intent on putting the river rock down, would be put some of that crush and run and stamp it in real good so that uh, the, the rock – so there's a base. Like when the water will wash and all that, and it's not like you got – something underneath it the clay that will move yeah if you so get a like heavy rain so you have a good a good solid base actually weed control was one of the things i was mainly concerned about in the future uh, yeah. and i think maybe the crushing run would help would help yeah 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 it'll help okay, there'll well, still be weeds uh, there'll still be debris that come, falls between the cracks or leaves and then you can use landscape fabric uh, yeah. you know some of those that last 15 20 years uh, use that underneath as well i don't know i, I that was one of the things uh, why i wanted to call in was i wanted to try to avoid putting any crap like that in the soil mm -hmm. if I could, or okay. maybe I'm thinking that that does damage and it really doesn't. If you compact uh, the soil pretty well with the crush and run, as Ashton advised, I don't think you need the landscape fabric on top of that. I think you'll be okay. fine. Hey, listen, that answered my question. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Great, Bruce. Thanks for calling. Bye. 404-872-0750. If you have a lawn question in particular, Ashton Ritchie, the lawn expert, is here to help you. Uh, Joe in Sandy Springs, join us, and let's talk about his lawn. Hey, Joe, good morning. Thanks for taking my call, Walter. Um, in several weeks, my lawn service will be doing an aeration, yeah. seeding, and fertilizer, starter fertilizer on my fescue. And um, it always seemed like it would be a good time to me to put down lime at the same time uh, because I've got all the little holes that the uh, lime can go down into the soil. But they don't seem to want to do that. They, they said that the lime will counteract the starter fertilizer. Uh, negate the two of them. You have any thoughts there? Mm, generally, not true. 
Um, yes, lime is a high pH material, and yes, chemical reactions can happen, but as far as negating the effect of the fertilizer down, I don't think that's a big deal. Okay. I really don't. So that's a good time to do it? It's when you've got all the little holes Wait. to get, get the lime down in the soil? Why am I answering this question when I have an expert here? <laughs> Ashton, what do you think? Lime well, I think, the gran- I think the granulated lime uh-huh. would, would be good. I, you know, hydrated lime sometimes can... The powdered lime, that's, but nobody's yeah. going to use that. Yeah, no. so uh, the, the, the uh, granulated lime could be done. But it could be done any time this fall, especially if you've had a soil test that tells you, you you're, you're acidic. But if you've been putting lime down every fall... Mm-hmm. For a while, you know, your pH might be in pretty good shape. Yeah. Okay. You've, you've got time to do a soil test before, if you say your service is going to come in a couple of weeks, Joe. Um, there's mm-hmm. time to do a soil test from the university, and that's easy to get done. Uh, GeorgiaSoilTest.com, and their packs, their little soil test uh, kits that are at all the pike nurseries around town as well. So you could get the soil test done and see if you even need the lime. As Ashley I got you. You but but even it. if you don't get the lime down when you're doing the seed and the start of lawn food, you can do it right on end of, you know, they give you something to do during halftime on a Thanksgiving football. <laughs> right. uh, I was just afraid lime. a lot of it get washed off with heavy rain, and then yeah. while you've got those holes in the ground, seemed like a good time to get everything down in there. Uh, that's why the granulated lime is, is, is a great idea. Right, yeah. right. The, uh, one other quick question. Um, as far as spot treating weeds with uh, weed be gone, yeah. um, how much time between doing that and the uh, uh, um, and the seeding? Well, if you if you are spraying weeds right now, mm-hmm. uh, it's recommended not to seed for uh, a month. Mm-hmm. Oh. And if you've got new grass seed growing and starting to germinate, and then you're starting to mow it, it's recommended not to spray until you have uh, mowed the new seedlings four times. Right. So it's either right now or probably not till November. Yeah, but you know, if they're going to seed in a couple of weeks, I I would be careful about doing a lot of spraying with the weeds. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just some spot spraying you can you can get by with. You use Roundup if you wanted to use Roundup for spot spraying, but not an overall broadleaf weed killer over the whole. What about just spot treating with weed be gone? Well, it, it's not going to hurt your good grass, so yeah. that's the good thing about that versus the Roundup. Right. But uh, but it it does hang around for just enough time that it could keep that the new seedlings from coming up if so they come back a month. Little spots, yeah. even right. the little spots that you spray with right. the spot. Right. Yeah. I would just so spot much. treat. All right. Thanks Y'all for calling, Joe. It's 717 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellis weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And let me try with pleasure hands and a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. The Bulldogs play under sunny skies, high of 66 this afternoon, low of 66 tonight. Right now it's 66 points. Oh, the evil number. 66.6 degrees outside this very moment. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, high of 87, down to the upper 60s overnight. And Labor Day, sunny skies, 91 for the high and about 69 for the low on Monday night. Your full weekend weather forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Lewis is in Decatur and joins us with something he's seeing up in the trees. What do you see, Lewis? Well, I got a very mature 
pecan tree, and uh, you answered this question a couple of weeks ago to another caller, but I've got the worms on my leaves yeah. covered up by what looks like spider web. Yeah. Uh, fall web worm. Fall web worm, and boy, they love, why do they like pecan trees? I don't know, Lewis, but I, see it, I saw them on my mother's pecan tree just this last Thursday and thought, somebody's going to call me about fall web worm on Saturday, and here you are, Lewis. That's what it is, fall web worm. Can I do? Should I leave it alone? Um, I, I usually have about two every year, but nah, right now I got about five or six. You five. would be the kind of guy, Lewis, who could find a bamboo fishing pole somewhere. And if you can find a bamboo fishing pole about 10, 12 feet long and put a hook on the end made out of an old coat hanger and just go up and hook them, go reach up into the limbs of the tree and hook those uh, webbing web things out of the tree. Then all the hornets and the wasps and things will go and eat the caterpillars, and that is the best control in the world. Okay, so when I hook them, should I leave them on the ground, or should I try to uh, contain them? Birds will eat them on the ground pretty well. I guess the insects will too, but it doesn't matter if you contain them or not. You're really just trying to get the webbing off the caterpillars to destroy their protection against the predators of the world who want to eat them. Okay, makes sense. So uh, that's it. And why does it happen? Uh, well, I, every other year I get a I get a crop yeah. um, <laughs> on my tree, and uh, every year about this time, when the crop, when the pecan crop comes up, uh, I get these uh, worms. Why is that, Ashton? Why does he get? Webworms. Well, well, they're they're called fall webworms. So you see them this time of year. I, I, yeah. We see them on the sirewood. They, oh, they're just the all over the sirewood down where we are. But uh, uh, I got I didn't see them on the pecan tree, but I bet you know this is the time of year they just do this that. Is, they they, they do that thing, and if you can just uh, break through that web, so that yeah. And I learned that from you, Walter. Well, the caterpillars. I mean, just because of the natural swing of things <coughs> during the year, from spring to summer to fall, Lewis. Caterpillars are going to be more numerous in the fall because there have been a couple of generations of the moths, you know, laying their eggs and the caterpillars hatching out and doing it again, maybe. And so with uh, having a couple of generations, the fall is going to be the time. You see more caterpillars, more webworms, more anything else. They actually, I think the first one I saw this year, Lewis, was in early June, and that was the first generation of webworm. And then nobody hooked them out of the tree, and so they all reproduced and moved into your tree. Well, how do they get there in the tree, and how, how does the, the protection come about? Well, the moth, remember, the moth can fly. And so your neighbor down the street who had that first June uh, web, the moths, when they hatched out from the caterpillars, flew over to your house and laid eggs on the leaves of the pecan tree, and the eggs hatched out. The little caterpillars were tiny to begin with, and they started eating. You never noticed anything. But then as they got about half an inch to three-quarters of an inch long, they began secreting this uh, silk web, like a, like a silkworm would. And that silk web they used to build the nest and to excrete around themselves to protect themselves while they're eating the leaves. Thank you so very much. You've answered my question. I'm going to work. For you, Lewis, everything is possible. We'll see you soon, man. Drive safely. One of the things, Ashton, this past week, army worms. Mm. Army worms everywhere. Uh, well, you know, what's about every five or six years yeah. we get some army worms? A big Especially on Bermuda worms. grass. Yeah, yeah. And, and for listeners who want to know what this looks like, I'll tell you two things to notice. Number one, if you have a porch light or an outdoor patio light or something like that right now this time of year, and you see dozens, I mean dozens and dozens, maybe a hundred moths all clustered around that light, 
those are probably army worm moths. And as Ashton said, if you see on your Bermuda lawn, it seems to be disappearing. It seems to be turning brown overnight. Look carefully and see if you see little caterpillars eating the green blades on your Bermuda grass, because that's the army worm caterpillar. And the, the moths don't do anything. No. Uh, but the, the worms. Yeah, the worms will eat everything up. But the good news is they only eat the green part of the grass, and so the grass greens up once the worms have died off, which they will. Especially if, if it's Bermuda grass, it'll, yeah. it'll come back. It'll come straight back. And no, <laughs> no problem there. But, the but you can't you can spray. You can... You can put down a if you if you really want to get rid of them, yeah. Because the kids are playing out in the yard and and you don't want them crawling all over <laughs> you. Or the, picking up the caterpillars and bringing them in and saying, hey, "Mommy, look, I got eight caterpillars here." And head. if you do uh, spray, uh, just look for army worms on the on the label yeah. and keep the kids off till it dries. Any insecticide will kill army worms on a lawn. It's seven twenty eight. We'll be back to more lawn and garden after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 7.35 at News Talk WSB, 66 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves along with Ashton Ritchie from the Scotts Company. We're answering your questions about gardening and what you should do, what you could do, what you can't do, what's the best way to do it. And because Ashton is a lawn expert, if you want to ask a question specifically about how to care for your lawn, Bermuda grass, fescue, zoysia, centipede, St. Augustine, if you have a question about lawns, this would be the morning to get it answered. Our number is 404-872-0750. And if you have a lawn that has a weed, we come to our <laughs> making lemonade out of lemons section of the show when Ashley Frasca brings to us the weed that she has found in she and her or her mother's lawn. What have we found this week, Ash? Weeds can kind of be pretty. If you look at some of them, they're kind of cool sometimes. Maybe. All right, maybe not. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Well, in that case, they're not a weed. In that case, they're not a weed. Because sometimes flowers can be really pretty but obnoxious, and then they become a weed. So That's true. Either way, if they make you unhappy, they're a weed. If they make you happy, they're a flower. So this one's unique. Right. This one, we, we let grow very tall just because we weren't sure what it was and wanted to give it the chance to flower. But right. at this point, it's maybe two to three feet tall. It's got very broad green leaves, and a characteristic that I found was the seed heads or the seed pods. They almost look like mini little firecrackers, and they're green, <laughs> and they kind of okay. sprout out from the top. And that's really what caught my eye. So in the picture, when you go to wsbradio.com, you can see the close-up of the it. seed pods. But I what is that? It. it is burnweed. Burnweed. And that little firecracker, like you say, it's a little conical thing with a little white tufty stuff sticking out the tips of each one of those seed pods and each one of those will open up like a dandelion flower and the wind brings it to any cleared area around or a bare spot in your landscape and it sprouts and that is burnweed. And the leaves aren't rounded. The leaves are pointy, you know, yeah. kind of spiky. Got a little um, bit of serration. And the leaves look a lot different though when it's very young and close to the ground versus me letting it get Two to three feet tall, the leaves almost change shape a little bit. Yeah, and they'll get taller, too. It'll get to three, four, five, sometimes feet tall. If you just let it grow, I'm sure you'll want to do that, except for the benefit of science and uh, the Weed of the Week program. <laughs> so, <laughs> so easy. Here's the great news, Ashton, Ashley. It is easy to, to pull it up. Unlike a lot of weeds, it does not have a very deep root system at all. And frankly, when I see them, I pull them up, shake the dirt off the roots, and pitch them into the compost pile. There's no 
reason why you need to use a weed killer. If you want to, you could, but pulling them up is the easiest thing to do. I'm all about manual removal. I think that's yeah. the easiest. Yeah, it really is. And so when you see burn weed, it's because you have allowed a bare spot to happen in your landscape or lawn, and you could have put mulch down. You could have done other things to get plants to grow there. It's an opportunistic weed, but pulling it out, I think you're right. That's the thing to do. How so do folks can see this. It is really cool, by yeah. the way. It is really neat. Uh, WSBradio.com, and in the search line, either type in Weed of the Week or type in Burn Weed as one word, and you can come to the photo album of all the weeds we've done. 23, 4, where are we now? Yeah, mid-20s. Ashley has more weeds than we can count. We are doing our best to get her whole lawn um, nominated and identified, and we'll know it eventually. We'll get out for one of them. Then we'll start doing repeats of the best of the weeds. You can shift over and do the word, the weeds that have names named after animals. Ooh, that'd be Ooh, interesting. That is a good one. Do you, what is an example of a weed? Yeah, well, you got south thistle, you got uh, sheep sorrel, sheep you sorrels got uh, dandelion. <laughs> You've got uh, chickweed. You've got uh, ox heart daisy. Ox heart you, daisy you start this, right. and you start naming them, and you can come up. I think I counted up, you know, forty or fifty of them that I that just they just jump. And so it, it begs the question: the first person to name these, yeah, why did they name the particular animal lamb's quarters? I mean, why did they say lamb's quarters? Uh, and I know about dandelion. Do you know why dandelion is called dandelion? Well, is it the flower has the like the petals coming out uh, like a, the mane of a lion? Mm, my understanding, a happy was lion. The the the, <laughs> the leaves, you know, on a dandelion, the leaves okay. have teeth. They're very uh-huh. triangular sort of thing, and that is the dent, the teeth, de lion, the dent, oh. the, the teeth of the lion. That's my understanding. You know, I learn. It's not a week goes by that I don't learn something from my friend <laughs> Walter <too>. Reeves. <laughs> I learn all sorts of things. Let's go to the phones. We got people who are waiting for us very patiently, like Nancy in Cartersville wants to ask about her knockout rose. Hey, Nancy. Good morning. Good morning. How can we help? Um, yesterday, ever in search of a deal, I found a highly discounted knockout rose, awesome. but it is more like a tree instead of a bush. <laughs> it has a perhaps four-foot um, trunk uh-huh. <laughs> and then a very productive uh, rose top. Got it. And did I make a bad mistake, or can it be planted as a tree, or what well, rose, I do? rose uh, fanciers call those standards. When they're growing on a, on a straight trunk like you have, and usually they're really expensive because it takes several years to make a standard standardized rose where it has the trunk and it stands up, uh, you know, several feet off the ground. I don't think you made a mistake. I mean, you have the natural, normal rose care things you have to take care of, of watering and fertilizing here and there, and pruning every once in a while. You may get some sprouts along the trunk, and if you like that look to it, just cut the sprouts off as you see them. Um, beyond that, it'll be real pretty. Nothing I mean, it had a, a bamboo fishing pole <laughs> tied to it holding the trunk straight, okay. so I didn't know if it was too top-heavy to survive like that. See, that happens sometimes, and so the bamboo pole is probably going to be a, a permanent part of that landscape plant. Uh, paint the bamboo green, and it doesn't show up so much. Okay. All right. All right. Good luck with it, Nancy. It's great that you got a bargain. Thanks for calling. We've got Kristen in Gainesville. Kristen, join us on Lawn and Garden. Hi. Hi there. Thanks for taking my call. And I've uh, got actually two questions, one about crepe myrtle and, mm-hmm. and one about dichondra. And I also want to say hello to Ashton. We are former Scots Associates together. Oh, my Get goodness. Out of Dodge. 
Where my husband you? is the seed testing guru in Marysville. Oh, oh for man, oh, man, oh, man, Kristen. How about that? Why did you come down here? I know why Ashton came down here, but why are you down here, Kristen? Well, we came down, but we came back up, so we're official halfbacks here in Gainesville. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy to have you in Gainesville. That's pretty cool. I'm glad, well, glad for well, a Scott. Thank you. I, I just wanted to ask a couple of questions, and I'm going to hand the phone over to my husband, Kevin. He has okay. it in his hand. All Thank right, you. Kevin, 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 Kevin. What do you want to ask about Kevin, the dichondra or the crepe myrtle? Uh, this is Kevin, and I'm I'm asking a question to Ashton about... Uh, good morning, Ashton. Good morning, Kevin. I haven't seen you or talked to you guys in a long time. I, I did get from a Facebook uh, call out from Kristen that you guys had moved to, uh, to uh, Gainesville. So uh, welcome back to Georgia. Welcome to Georgia. Well, we, we really love it here. It's great. It's good to hear your voice this morning on a Saturday. Well, I we have a yard that needs some, some real attention, and we've been trying the, the normal uh, products that uh, um, that Scott um, puts out, and, and uh, we've had, we haven't had very good success, and so I'm starting to suspect that there's some other issues. We have a real crop of uh, dichondra mm-hmm. in a lower part of our yard, and we've done the, the typical fertilization, we've done the weed control, and it just seems like we're not getting any grass coming through. Usually, dichondra is going to be in a damp place, wouldn't it, Ashley? Yeah, it's going to be in a damp, and it's, uh, you know, could be used as a ground cover, but it's, yeah. uh, it, it, Kevin, is, is these small leaves or large leaves? Um, I mean, small, are, about the size of a quarter. Okay, okay. Well, there is dollar weed that's very common here in uh, Georgia, and it uh, spreads and can be quite a problem in a lawn. But, you know, a lot of the dichondra, um, you know, is not really grown so much in, in a lawn situation around here because he it doesn't like the disease. It gets too much humidity for us So you're trying here. to control the dichondra, right, yeah. Kevin? And most of the broadleaf weed yeah. controls yeah. Uh, will work on the dichondra. We'll I take it out. I don't see any reason why um, one of the maybe of the maybe I have the dollar weed then possibly dollar weed's a little harder but they're very similar. There's a slight difference between dichondra and dollar weed and creeping Charlie, and yours mm-hmm. truly went to a place that I knew had all three of them and lined them up one two three on a plank. It took a picture of them a couple of years ago. And if you want to see definitively what you have, Kevin, go to WalterReeves.com and just type in Dichondra. And there's a page that says Dichondra versus Pennywort versus uh, the Dollar Weed. that will tell you exactly which one you have. Okay. And, well, that's helpful. Yeah, and because uh, some of them are harder to control, but uh, fall is usually a pretty good yeah. time to control these because they're perennials. And they put a lot of energy back into their root systems, so fall a lot of times is better, is easier to control than spring a would broad be. Broadleaf weed killer probably is going to do a good job, but there, as you suspect, Kevin, there could be other issues involved. If it's real damp down there, you're always going to have a problem growing other plants other than the weeds that nature adapted to grow in damp places. And Kevin, we're sort of limited on time, so let's go to the crepe myrtle question too. Well, we have some large, tall, spindly crepe myrtles, mm-hmm. uh, which we. Uh, noticed when we first came in here that there were a lot of uh, very pruned um, uh, stumps. Yeah, <laughs> Not yeah. Stumps, but, we don't like those. Those uh, are ugly. Ours are the exact opposite. I'm wondering if we could prune ours pretty low and would they still survive? I mean, we're talking 20, 25 feet tall. By pretty low, do you mean down to 4 feet or down to 12 feet? Or where's... I'm where's talking uh, 6 feet. 
eight feet. If it's 20 feet tall now, that's what it wants to be. And Kevin, mm-hmm. you know, you, you try not to argue too much with Mother Nature. Mother Nature wants the crepe myrtle of that variety to be 20 feet tall, and it's going to continuously sprout out lots of new growth every year after you do your severe pruning, which is what I would classify as what you're doing. So if there's any way to avoid that, do. If you can't avoid it, then look on my website for examples of how to do what's called pencil pruning or pollarding, and both of which can be done in a way that give you a nicely formed winter look on the crepe myrtle, but can reduce some of it in size. And that's what you really are looking to is to reduce some in size. But I don't have time to go through all the different, you know, different parameters of why you would and why you wouldn't, how to do it correctly. But again, go to my website, just type in crepe myrtle, one word, crepe myrtle, and it has pictures of every way you can prune one and sometimes reduce size successfully without too much growth. And and as a uh, resident of Georgia for only five years, Kevin, I was going to say that every time I have a gardening question, I go to WalterReeves.com and type in the search. The search is great, and then you can always find the answer to just any any gardening question you can find there. That's great news. I will, Walter, you're my new go-to person. <laughs> <laughs> great to hear from you, Kevin. Thanks for your, the, the uh, suggestion. You Appreciate bet. Thanks, thanks for calling. 404-872-0750 is our number. In the next half hour, Melvin in Austell wants to know about feeding, seeding fescue, probably feeding it as well. We'll talk to Ashton about that. Gus in Marietta wants to know how to get Bermuda out of zoysia. That's a tough one. We're going to look at a study about that one. Ray in Roswell wants to know how to cure the brown spots in his zoysia lawn. They're now 8 to 10 inches wide. Oh, man, we got a full questions questions and answers straight ahead of us. Ashton Ritchie will be my expert, and we'll expect him to answer all those things. You ready? You're going to do those? All right. Ashton will bring out his reference books, and we'll get back to you right after this. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. And a quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. It's going to be a great afternoon for Bulldog Games over in Athens. Is Athens or is here? It's here in Atlanta. we got the Bulldog Games. The full coverage At the Dome. Of the Dome, that's right, because that's all part of the big traffic. And if you're a heading. Georgia Tech fan, they're playing right now in Dublin, Ireland. You're going to be late. If you get there by halftime, you'll be on the, the Concord or something like that. But the weather today in Atlanta, though, is going to be great. It's going to be around 80, 81, 82, 86 degrees this afternoon. Partly cloudy skies. The overnight temperatures are lower than they have been for a couple of weeks in the mid-60s. Same thing for tomorrow. Warming up a little bit on Monday for Labor Day for your Labor Day picnic and holiday. That will be around 91 degrees and still mid to high 60s overnight lows. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes with News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Melvin, our friend Melvin in Austell joins us this morning with a question about his fescue lawn. Good morning, Walter. How are hey, you? Hey, Melvin, we're doing great. How can we help? I was trying to see if it time to, uh, can I put down some uh, feed for, uh, I mean, receive the, 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 the lawn? Fescue, Ashton. Oh, fescue. Okay. Yes, you can. Uh, you know, it might be just a week or so early, uh, but yes, you can definitely seed fescue. This is a great time to do that. Uh, the seeds should come in contact with the soil uh, as much as you can to get it uh, to grow and use a blend, uh, you know, of different of the turf-type tall fescue seeds and put down a starter lawn food what, at the same what, time. What the brand, what, what, what the brand that, that, that you like best? Uh, Pike blend. Uh, yes, yeah, Atlanta blend that Pike sells. Uh, Rebel Supreme is a blend. Pennington sells a nice blend. There are a bunch of them. As long as it says blend, 
then you're well, fine. It's a blend. Okay, okay, okay. Got to sell blends. There's one called Southern Gold. Southern Gold is another one, yeah. But uh, okay. the blends do great. And Melvin, the first thing Ashton says was it's a little warm right now. You can wait a couple of weeks. And I think Ashton is right. There are temperature ranges in which seeds germinate best. And you know this, Melvin, that fescue is called a cool season grass, which yeah. mostly has yeah. to do with how well the roots and the crown of the plant deal with cool temperatures and they do very well because it's a cool season grass and they you know fescue is green during the winter time sure but it germinates better when the soil temperatures are in the mid 60s or so and right now soil temperatures are in the if, low if 70s I ch- if i want to change it over and put bermuda in there can i do that right now yeah I, I think it's too yeah late for I, I think uh, that's more of a spring uh, late spring early summer seeding yeah, I think oh, you'd okay. have so tough times. Okay. Yeah, okay. fescue is about the only choice we have right now. But again, a couple of weeks from now, the soil temperatures will be a little bit lower, and you'll get better germination because they're not so high. Fescue just yeah. simply likes oh. cooler temperatures for the soil. And you can, if you want to know what the soil temperatures are, Melvin, there's a mm-hmm. wonderful website that the University of Georgia helps to sponsor called GeorgiaWeather.net. And it has weather stations all around the state, and each one of them will record what the local soil temperature is at two inches uh, depth. And that's what you look at. You want it in the yeah, mid last time, I had, last time I talked to you, Walter, you remember I told you about my peach tree had yeah, yeah. broken? Sure. And you told me to tie, tie something around there? Yeah. And I tied something around there, and, and I, I'm just going to let it go. <laughs> I'll call you back and let you know every, how, how, that, how that project working. Every few, few months. Next spring, Melvin, next spring we'll talk about your peach tree and see if it comes yeah. out. Thank you very much, Walter. Y'all guys have a great day. Have a great day yourself, Melvin. Thanks for calling. It's 57 minutes past the hour. Don't forget that if you go to WalterReeves.com, as we mentioned this morning, you can always sign up for the newsletter. There's always an interesting couple of questions we put in the newsletter every couple of weeks. You can follow me on Twitter, and we might start taking questions on Twitter, at Walter Reeves. We have a Twitter account. And you can follow us on Facebook as well, the Georgia Gardener on Facebook. And I post things there during the week of uh, interesting things that folks have brought up, including the army worm question, all the army worm moths, the guy that took the insect stings for science, all that there on the... uh... (laughs) Thank you, Mark. Mark Dowden in place of Scott Maxwell this morning is bringing us all the Dragon Con music, which we appreciate. <laughs> and we'll be back to more Lawn and Garden after news. Friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Welcome, friend. He's ignored. Action is his reward.